Hello and welcome to the Digital Lighthouse. I'm Zoe Cunningham. On the Digital Lighthouse, we get inspiration from tech leaders to help us to shine a light through turbulent times. We believe that if you have a lighthouse, you can harness the power of the storm. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Johnny Britton, who is a co-founder and the CEO of Lantech. Hello, Johnny, and welcome to the Digital Lighthouse. Hi, Zoe. Thank you for having me. Um, Could I ask you to start with to maybe introduce yourself and tell us about what Lantech does? Sure. So, co-founded Lantech about eight years ago, was previously a town planner who was frustrated with the pace of town planning and moved into becoming a software developer. Landtech is a suite of tools that enables property developers to essentially to buy pieces of land. So we have a range of products that help our clients identify good opportunities to stay up to date with what's happening in the land market, who's doing what, what stuff's coming through planning, who's buying what land. It enables them to find good opportunities and to build a project around them, bringing in their teammates, people from other organizations to partner with, to turn these projects into actual land deals so that they can get through planning and be funded. And we've got solutions and we're building out solutions for that whole life cycle. So from identification through to the funding of a piece of land and the whole idea is that we make that bit much easier so that it increases productivity and enables more people to do it and ultimately we get more productivity in the land market so that people can build more properties and and development and in theory try and solve the housing crisis or do a little bit towards it. Right, exactly. There's definitely much more that can be done, I think, having successive governments come in and state housing targets, you know, and not hit them. And technology is always the answer to everything, right? (laughs) (laughs) Certainly in this industry, it is starting from almost nothing. So we advanced our customers' lives so significantly, it radically transformed the way that people search for land. And over time, as we've gone on, we realized we're not really solving the actual problem. We've made a fantastic business with our first product, Land Insight, but our clients have got a mountain to climb before they actually do a deal on land. And it's really tricky and really high risk to do that. And so we can see huge opportunities improving their lives. So how did you initially realize that there was an opportunity in this area? Is it something that came from your town planning days? I wish I'd had that vision when I was a town planner. Unfortunately, I didn't. And in in fact, this is where you join our story. So I was introduced to a guy called Andrew Moist, who had tried to do a self-build project. He was a software engineer in London that you knew and realized that it's incredibly difficult you know, where's the land? There is no land available. How do you value a piece of land? How do you purchase a piece of land? How do you know what you can put on a piece of land? All of these challenges were incredibly hard, even for professionals, let alone for self-builders. So he tried to set up a solution to help self-builders find land and reached out for a co-founder to help him. You retweeted or tweeted on his search for that co-founder and he emerged trapped in a snowstorm in the northeast on Twitter more than would normally have been. And I guess the nice thing about social media is it enables serendipity, but it certainly helped us to do that. And we tried to do that. We tried to build his project. But what we found is that 
it was just far too hard. We weren't able to build a solution that really solved the problem. We tried to build a marketplace to help self-builders find plots of land, but there's not necessarily good plots of land for sale near where people want to live, where their jobs are, where their friends and family are. And we couldn't think of a way to solve that problem. So we tried to codify how professionals find land and effectively they buy on the market or they buy off the market. On the market's largely to do with their network and off the market land was really interesting. They prospectively search for pieces of land that can match what they want in terms of the risk profile, the profit, what they're capable of building. And we tried to decode that and give it to self-builders and say, look, this is how a professional does it. Would you like to do it? This is how they value a piece of land. This is how they go through planning. And it just blew their minds. They just wanted to do a dream home build. And we weren't able to educate them well enough through the complicated process. So at that point, we pivoted and said, well, actually, look, we've got a theory of change, which is that we think that by helping the people with the biggest problem, we can solve the problem for most of the industry. So by helping self-builders, there's about 4 million wannabe self-builders in the UK. There's actually that many people do it around Europe. So if we could bring it up to European levels, we can solve the housing crisis. But we weren't able to, so we pivoted to saying, we can help those who are actually doing development into being far more productive and solve the housing crisis in a different way. So there was kind of a journey towards it rather than being a big visionary, which sounds much more like a genius. It was far more evolutionary. And that's how it always works, right? I think that very few businesses start out from an idea and you just have the idea and implement the idea and and then you're done. It's always learning more about what is available and what is possible before you get to a final solution. Yeah, I think so. And I probably think that's where most startups fail as well, by either being pressured to build too early and go too fast with the wrong solution or not giving it the time it takes to go through that. It was a two-year process for us, effectively, to get to that one that's really going to work. Something I really want to ask is that, obviously, the government is also investing in using its own data and using public data. So why is a startup better placed to exploit, I guess, this data and use this data than the government? When we probably first met about eight years ago, that was a very live conversation for us. And only really in the last couple of months has a white paper been released by the TPI, the Royal Town Planning Institute, which makes it look like it might start to happen. But still, I think we're probably three or four years away from a meaningful amount of data being released for the type of data that we use. And I do think it could be a good way to go, but I have to say I'm a bit of a skeptic now with what I know about the government's plans, really. I'll just say I'm not sure how much we're aligned in them and their work, whereas a small company, two people effectively, raised a small amount of money. We raised £350,000 back in 2015 and have radically transformed the way that the property developers find opportunities and and have opened that up to thousands of developers democratizing this information using technology, building a, you know, 200 person strong business and raising $50 million along the way. So I have, you know, a few doubts there, but there's about 10 million planning applications in the UK, probably about 11 million, 10, 11 million. And we go into every council and we ingest the data from their systems. Each planning application is a PDF document. We go in and read each of those 
documents and extract certain lines of text, which we then interpret and make available through our application. It's certainly going to help us if the government make either the standards by which the data gets inputted into those systems or makes that data more available. I hope they draw the line there about this making solutions. We combine that data with other data sets and that's where we start to add value. And then through the ability to analyze multiple data sets and make patterns or searches or filtering in a very visual way on a map, that's where we can help our users a great deal. And then from that, we can turn that into a project or make a report or it can be shared or collaborated over. And so it's great that the government are, are doing these things and they can really help us, but we just add a lot more value. So we have a, just a different approach to it. We're very, very user-centric about what the problems are for our users and they're kind of taking a big infrastructure level view of things. I think that makes sense. And actually, I think that answers my question really well. Because at the end of the day, your only challenge is to solve the problems of developers and help developers be as efficient as possible within the framework, whereas the government is responsible for setting and maintaining and policing property development across the country which is a different focus, right? And so I'm like you, I'm very much a, a believer in a mixed economy. And actually, the government does some stuff well, and private companies do some stuff well. And the more we coexist, the better. I do want to ask, though, so this sounds like a massive data challenge that you started with. So getting hold of the data and then processing the data were there kind of challenges around that when you started or were there other technical challenges that were actually more pressing? That was actually the big challenge that we had. We did the whole lean startup thing, mock-ups and experiments to prove the value proposition and make people click things so we knew that they wanted it and all this nice hacky stuff. But when it came down to it, we needed <laughs> to build a data set. And we were in the right place at the right time in many ways because we were able to lift some machine learning models off the shelf or natural language processing models off the shelf that Google had made available and others were making available and implement them so we could interpret the data. And frankly, we were in the right time at the right place to get Amazon Web Services that we could spin up huge servers on demand and not pay for you know ongoing massive server costs. So it enabled us to do it much cheaper. And <clears throat> some of the databases that were coming out were really well suited towards what we needed at the time. A lot of map-based databases and open source tools were available. So it enabled us, along with the funding, the hiring of a lot of people, the having an identified need from our customers, which attracts the funding in, and you can speak to the customers about the right thing. So we were able to get all that in place. And that, although it took us a year just to build a rudimentary data set that took many, many years to get accurate over time. That was the differentiator between us and many other well-funded competitors who joined the industry and tried to compete with us. Taking the time to do the really hard thing that we knew was the big value add, that enabled us to, to kind of win out in the end. That's the definition of solving the problem, right? <laughs> There's no value in re-implementing something that someone else does or doing things that are easy. The value comes from the difficult challenges that people haven't solved. But I can see with data, it's always the case that you need to 
almost have the data before you can get clients on board. So I can really see that that's a big challenge. And now you're kind of 50 million investment you mentioned on. And obviously, you've got the business model that's kind of well established. And like you say, honed over years. How have your technical challenges changed compared to back in the day? Okay, so I'm not sure how much you're supposed to admit this stuff, but many of the technical challenges we have now came from the technical choices we made at the beginning. <laughs> so, Very honest. I appreciate the honesty. That's brilliant. We really focused on going fast, solving user needs, tackling as many of the user problems as we could so we could expand our addressable market. And we focus far less on technical debt <laughs> or the infrastructure that you need to scale and have you know, multiple engineers working on it on the application at the same time. So I'd say that a lot of our challenges have been about re-architecting the tech stack in order to scale really, because that combined with our next big market challenge, that is the only way we could tackle it because we're going to launch in the US this year and whereas we've got about 300 odd councils in England and Wales to draw the data from, there's 19,000 municipal councils in the, in the US that we need to draw the data from. So behind the scenes in our business, it moved from a data aggregation kind of full stack ability to get the data, ingest it, and then all our developers could kind of draw from it and put it into their pieces of the app. But now it needs to be kind of abstracted layers, API-driven you know, applications on top and specialized teams working across each of those components of the tech stack. Very interesting. And I think you're not alone in that being a challenge as you scale. If you don't get your original product out and to clients, then there is no scaling challenge later on, right? So I think it is always a balancing act. Do you think you could have known at the start the challenges you would face now? And if you honestly think back, could you have done it differently? That's a good question. And I have reflected on that from time to time. Most founders, quite creative people, we're very critical of ourselves and never settle. And if I did it now, I would have thought about it differently. But knowing what I knew back then, it would have been very challenging. And just from a knowledge point of view, but also we didn't actually expect to be such a good company in many ways. We wanted to solve a problem, but we didn't realize we'd be such a force for good. We have built things in a very ethical and, and sustainable way in terms of our staff and our culture. And it's very empowering. We bring lots of great minds together and they give us lots of ideas. And it's grown our ambition for how much we can do and the horizon just gets bigger in that regard. So we want to solve more of the customer problem now, and that has opened up a huge addressable market. And we found ourselves in a position where we're best placed to do this internationally. So it would have been very difficult to be that prescient, but I also wish I knew what I knew now. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all, don't we all? Just kind of as a technologist, and obviously at Software, we see a lot of different businesses and their technology evolution. I think that it's so easy with hindsight to say, I wish we had, we could have, we should have. But actually, technologists all around the world are always making the best decision they can at the time. And things change. And that's why we use agile development, right? So that things change, we move quickly, we change with them. 
and we accept that that change is part of life so yeah don't be too hard on yourself I think that you've answered my next question or possibly not how much of your original code is still in production oh right gosh um it's a constant challenge to unpick some of the areas that work perfectly well but you know are still in the application we've focused on changing the things that make us move faster and enable our software developers to get up to speed faster and are less likely to have an impact to the user. And we've slowly unraveled the onion, but I'm sure there's still some dark corners of the application that people are a bit scared to go into. I love that answer. And again, I feel that my perspective as a technologist, seeing lots of different businesses, is that you have to balance your product and your user needs with like writing a perfectly clean code base that is for absolutely every piece is following absolutely every guideline. It's just simply not possible. And everyone has limited resource. So I agree. I think you've done the right thing. I agree with your answer. (laughs) So just finally, what are your plans for the future? Where is Lantech going? So there's a few things that we'd like to do. We have this flagship product that helps find parcels of land and assess them, assess the value, the potential. And we're taking that to the US. There's a big gap in the market for us. Our solution's unique and differentiated. So that is our big push for this year. But we really see that, as I said before, we haven't solved the problem for our users. And that vertical line of exploration opens up really big opportunities. So first of all, in the UK, at least for now, we're the only company that's really consolidated that group of property developers into one place. And just from doing that, we've learned a huge amount from that community. We've actually turned them into a community. We've got a community platform where they can talk and discuss and give us ideas. And we've started to do lots of our own podcasts and, and seminars, and we're starting to form a point of view. And Our customers are very misunderstood. That comes through very clearly. And we've got an opportunity to represent them better in the industry. You know, property developers are always the fall guy. They're always getting bashed over the head by the media, but their lives are extremely difficult. High risk, long timeframes can go bust quite quickly when the economy turns. So it's not for the faint hearted. And we feel like we can advocate on their behalf much better than we're doing now. So we've got a lot of activity in that area and we really hope that we can be a force for good. And there's so many amazing property developers building these fabulous, sustainable and regenerative projects that we want to shine a light on and share best practice there and therefore get more people thinking about what a force for good property development can be. So there's quite a few things there, but the big exciting thing that we've got is that in building all of these data sets, we've got this incredible proprietary data that we're not really yet harnessing properly and it gives us insight on how the land market works how property development works how the property industry works and we've just started our big data science project into looking at that and seeing what patterns emerge and what that can tell us but it's very exciting because we think we're the first company to have these data sets which can give you such a view of what's going to be happening in the property industry That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Johnny, for coming on the show and for your openness in talking about challenges, because that really, for us, is the point of this podcast. It's very easy, particularly when 
someone's been as successful as Lantech, right? It's very easy for others to look at them and go, oh, they must have got all their technical decisions right. They must have a perfect architecture. And actually, it's not it's not like that at all for, for any business. So I really appreciate that. And I wish you all the best for your very exciting future plans. Well, thank you for having me on here, Zoe. And it's great work you're doing to get people on to talk about this stuff. Because if, if it can help someone do a bit better, then we both do our job. Thank you.